things, or maybe they don't care like we do, or maybe they're wrestling with things, uh, or seem to be engaged in actions that are inconsistent uh, with what they profess in Christianity. Uh, maybe we have good kids who are part of the youth group and who outwardly are doing all of those great things and they're involved, but it's still good to know the things that they are wrestling with because, as Joe mentioned, there are things that we can be apathetic about. Even parents can be apathetic at times about certain aspects of spirituality in our lives. Here's a good meme. I don't know if you can read that. I don't know how many of you have seen this. We're going to be talking about generations, the boomers yelling at millennials for toast. The millennials yelling at boomers for ruining the world. Gen Z snorts Tide Pod and yeets into traffic. <laughs> Gen X standing there watching it all happen and unfold. Uh, this is a great... Uh, whoever put this together was brilliant in some respects because they tend to capture all of the aspects of the generation in one meme. Um, but this is the difference. This is the disparity that we come into when we look at generation gaps. Uh, there's some resources here if you're interested in some of the generational studies that uh, the bulk of the statistics that I've got for this session came from. Uh, Are My Kids on Track is a great book to make sure that they're hitting certain milestones throughout their life. Uh, social, societal, emotional, and spiritual milestones. Uh, the next work there, Generation Z, A Century in the Making, uh, is a work very much like textbook style that goes through kind of how they got to where they are and the things that they're going to be dealing with. Gen Z, The Middle One by Barna, uh, is a book of statistics. If you love statistics, if you're a nerd like me, sometimes you would love that book. Uh, but it details all of the surveys that have been done over the course of that generation and gives us some information. Meet Generation Z by James Emery White is a good book about the disposition of this group of people, this age group. Already Gone, some of you may be familiar with by Ken Ham and uh, one of his associates, uh, talks about the departure from Christianity among the younger generations and why they are leaving. One of the things that we'll get to, and it may surprise you, but children by the eighth grade typically have made up their mind of whether or not they're going to pursue Christianity in adulthood. Think about that. Your children by the 8th or ninth grade have already determined whether or not Christianity is relevant for their life. Where do you suppose they get that information from? Parents, one of them. Society, the other. We send our children to Roman schools and ask them to learn Roman things and then don't expect them to be Romans. There's a problem there. It can be overcome, but it takes diligence, and we'll talk about that. Who is this person living in my house? I have three children. I have a 12-year-old, I have a 10-year-old, I have a 7-year-old. And sometimes I want to pull my hair out because I have no idea how to relate to the things that they are dealing with because when I was a kid, I didn't have all of the other stuff that they had going on. Our kids today are safer physically because they're in very controlled environments, they're around their parents, but they are more at risk psychologically because of social media, because of all the things that happens in schools and online. And so while we may be able to protect them physically, now that we realize that there's real threats out there, when I was a kid, you didn't come home till after the streetlights came on, right? How many of you grew up in that generation? That was me. And if you were out 15 minutes past when the streetlights went off, you got your hiney beat and put to bed without dinner. <laughs> that's, that's how I... 
can we imagine doing that with our children today in our neighborhoods and letting them stay out? Like, my parents would lock the door and make us stay outside all day. That's how I grew up. I wouldn't even think about doing that with my children. Why? Because of the knowledge now that we have of individuals who only want bad things. But who is this child in my house? Well, they're age 9 to 24. They're called the uh, iGen or Digital Natives, the Founders, Homeland Generation. These are awesome names that have been given. Uh, Post-millennials and the plurals. Um, they constitute about 26% of the U.S. population. Gen Y, 25. Gen X, 15. And Boomers, 23%. By 2020, they will constitute 40% of all consumers. Huge part of the population, and possibly the last generation that we will ever talk about. Why do we say that? Well, because we're looking at really a convergence where you're going to get a homogeneity of people and generations as they're born. There won't be those distinct separating lines necessarily, okay? Because we're all coming now to a point where we have and share similar experiences. So we're looking at maybe the last generation that we might talk about. There's one coming up that they're already discussing in social societies, and that is Generation Alpha, uh, but that's not really germane to what we're talking about today. Since Generation Z has been alive, here's some things that I think are interesting to know. Hybrid cars have always been produced. Google has always existed, so they could always consult the Oracle, all right? There's always the opportunity to go and Google it. They've never licked a stamp. They don't even know what to do with them. They think they're stickers. Why is there a number on here? Right? Emails are the formal mode of communication. Texts and tweets are the more informal. Whereas growing up, emails were informal and letters were formal. So we see that shift big time in this generation. Hong Kong was always under Chinese rule. Wi-Fi is treated as an entitlement. How many have, times have you had kids to your house and they said, what's your password? <laughs> it's none of your business. You're not getting on the internet. You're going to play blocks or Legos or something. The announcements of the first woman to hold a position impressed only their parents. Think about that. The expectation of this generation is that there's equality in genders all the time. It's always existed. It's not new. If you say around the turn of the century, they'll ask which one. <laughs> right? Most of us were like 1900s, right? We, it's not the millennium. Cell phones are appendages. And go try and take any cell phone from any kid here, and what will you be met with? How many of you are teachers? How many of you have had kids with cell phones in your class? You pass the basket around, and how many of you watch and go, oh, I don't want to get rid of it. Yeah, they're appendages. They're growing out of their face and their arm and everything. They joined Harry Potter through all seven books for their reading skills. That's what they know. Their therapeutic marijuana has always been legal in some U.S. cities. The Lion King has always been on Broadway. <sighs> Technologically induced antisocial behavior. Oh, wait. Things don't change, folks. Just the means by which we ignore people do. Okay? <laughs> That's true. This is a 1920s era photo of newspapers taking the place of a 19 or 2000 aught photo of kids with their cell phones. All right? 
What are some defining markers, though, of this generation? What are some things that, that really set them apart from their uh, counterparts? That is Gen X, um, the Millennials, um, Gen Y, and, and these other groups. What is unique about them that we need to know as we pursue a relationship with them and try and inculcate within them a view and a love toward God? Because there's some barriers, by the way, that are going to help prevent us from doing that. They have, their top character strengths are honesty, kindness, humor, fairness, judgment. According to the VIA character strength survey uh, of about 150,000 people surveyed. Interesting... Look at those characteristic traits. What do they value? And where are those found? Hmm. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's interesting. They value those things. And those people who express those kind of behaviors, they're more likely to listen to. Those people who have that kindness, they may have a, a view that's way out there in left field, but because they're kind, at least they're honest in what they think to be honesty, um, they're fair, they have you know, a good sense of judgment, they're more likely to listen to. What does that tell us about what they're thinking about? What are their values? They value individual freedom, financial security, happiness, meaningful work. I would actually argue that happiness is the number one indicator and value of Gen Z. How many of you have heard your children say, well, they just want to be happy? Or this makes them happy? Or they're going to do that, and if it makes them happy, they're going to pursue it. This is something that has been a while in the making, but now it's finally found its deep-seated root in this generation. What do we denote that as? Happiness, and, and hedonism, by the way, is a, a, a neutral word. I mean, we use it in a, a pejorative sense. Uh, but the word hedonism is the pursuit of pleasurable things, the, the, the pursuit of things that cause one to feel good. That's the basic fundamental definition of hedonism. What is the pursuit of happiness? Well, it's in our Constitution, isn't it? We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and are endowed by the Creator with certain inalienable rights, among them are the pursuit of life, or among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of... So is there anything wrong with that? The problem is, is that this view trumps any other social norm or expectation for them uh, to behave in a way that doesn't cause injury or hurt to others. And we'll talk about that problem. Motivation is found in achievement or making a difference in something they believe in. They are highly motivated people to be involved and engaged. In the 70s, you saw the rise of demonstrations. Late 60s, uh, early 70s, rise of demonstrations against Vietnam. Uh, you saw a very much engaged culture about political uh, events. And now what you see with Gen Z is a very involved culture. Millennials don't get involved that much. Uh, millennials are anywhere from 81 to uh, 95, that period, 15-year period. Uh, there's actually a micro-generation. That would be 78 to 83. Uh, they're called exennials because they grew up on both sides of uh, the, the generation gap. But you look at these groups here, uh, and they are more involved in causing or changing public policy. They want to see good happen. They want to help feed the poor. And when you give them a good goal and agenda, they will pursue it. Okay? If they see that it's right or good, they're going to want to make a difference. What can that do for us in teaching evangelism, by the way? 
you get them sold on what, important, what things are important, they will take it and run with it. They're less motivated by public recognition, acceptance, competition, or possibility of a favor returned. They're recession marked. Okay, they came into the scene when we had the recession, the dip in 2003, and then another dip in 2007 through 9 or so, that, that housing collapse. Um, so they were, faced the worst economic era since World War II began in 2007. Uh, they are resourceful. 42% report expecting to work for themselves at some point. They want to be their own boss. We look back in the 50s, and what was the goal for the GIs coming back from that generation? You go to work for a company, and how long do you stay at that company? I'm talking about, I'm switching back and forth. Well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. They want to work for themselves. And there's a motivation or a reason behind that. They want to govern themselves. They want to dictate who is boss. Okay, that's a little bit different. But you look at the generation in the 50s that came back. What they wanted to do was go to work and work for a company for how many years? 20 to 30 years and retire, right? And they felt a fierce loyalty to that company. You don't see that. You see Generation Z changing jobs multiple times. Uh, doing business for a social cause, social entrepreneurship is one of their top career choices. Again, public function, serving, trying to make a change publicly. Very diverse, multiracial children are the fastest growing youth group in the U.S., 49% identifying as non-white. It's estimated that by the conclusion of the 2020 census, more than half of the U.S. youth population will be part of a minority ethnic group. They're sexually fluid. Only 48% identified as exclusively heterosexual. Think about that. that. By the way, that does not mean that your youth group is in that percentage, okay? What that means is, is that this is the world they are in. 52% have varying degrees of this kind of, of influence around them or, or pursuing those things. You think about the impact in their social sphere. We think we know what they're dealing with. Who do we associate with? Those of like mind, right? How many of us just exclusively associate with members of the church? I know there was a time when that's the only friends that I had. What about when we're with friends that are outside of the church, but they still maintain some conservative norms? So there's no violation of a conscience there. Yeah, we tend to gravitate toward people that we are most like. That's social uh, structure. But now they're in schools and in areas where they're dealing with this kind of, of situation. And this is not just in northern states, by the way. This is in the south, too. Okay? And it's growing. 81% don't feel that gender defines a person like it used to. It was in 2015, or it was that in, in 2015. I'm sorry, I'm missing a that there. Homosexual marriage was legalized. So it's about in their minds, they're seeing this as an alternate and appropriate view that is condoned by society. They're the product of social choices made by previous generations. Before you raise your arms at me and, and fuss, they are. Every generation comes into a world that was defined by the generation before them. So look at what they're dealing with now because of what's happened with previous generations. And we'll talk about generational responsibility. First generation, this is huge. This is the first generation that is raised in a post- Christian world or environment in this country. The fastest growing religious group are the nuns 
or nons, as it's up there, for the unaffiliated. What was America founded on? Judeo-Christian principles, Christian principles. We look at the, the Bill of Rights and the Declaration of Independence. They both acknowledge God as supreme creator. They both acknowledge the fundamental worth or value of humankind, of life, okay, of certain freedoms or liberties that are granted, again, by God. Uh, and throughout the course of our, our, our uh, uh, republic, constitutional republic, what we've seen is people generally focused on those as the defining norms. And while they are, over the majority of uh, United States citizens do value Christianity as a governing set of norms, uh, which even dictate the laws that are passed, we are now living in a post-Christian world in which most are identifying as non-affiliated or not having an association with a religious group per se. We're the minority. Christians, generally speaking, are the minority. Okay, And then the church even a little bit more so. So now we can kind of see what they're up against. Attacks and gun threats may shock others, but they don't surprise those that are growing up with this as a norm. How many of you remember Columbine? How many of you were shocked that that could ever occur? I was. But now when that happens, how many of us are surprised at it? Not as much, right? They're living in a world where that's always been the case. That's never not happened. I remember when I first learned about Charles Whitman uh, at UT uh, and the sniper there at the UT Tower and some of the things that he had done. I was appalled. I thought that could never happen. But then, not even a year later, Columbine happened. Okay? So they're living with this as a norm. Wi-Fi enabled as the internet in its pocket generation. They are the product of the fourth great communication revolution, uh, encoding and programming. They can find whatever they want without the help of libraries, teachers, or brick and mortar shops. Your child, if they want it, can get a hold of it. They know how. We may not be able to, but they are very resourceful, and they know how. Keep that in mind. Digitally customizable. They have an online and offline identity. 75% are comfortable managing multiple identities online. How many of you know about more than one social network, right? Social media platform. Most of us are like Facebook, right? We're the Facebook generation. And you go in, you start talking to millennials or, or to, the, uh, to Gen Zers, and they're like, Facebook, that's for old people. So it really has become the, the, the resource by which older folks, that is our generation, Network socially, they're using Instagram and Twitter and a bunch of these other things, Snapchat, TikTok, you name it. That's what they're on. Harder to, to identify, but they also maintain different identities on these things. Uh, how many of you have scrolled through your Facebook feed, and I'm just using that because that's what I know, and saw all these happy people, and everybody just posts the best happy pictures of their family on there? Guess what? That's what they're seeing from their friends. And what they think is that now their life is not as good as the other people are around because they're only taking select snapshots of their life and they're thinking that that is their entire life. By the way, this happens and affects adults too, not just our children, okay? So they're growing up with that. They're being inundated with this and they're being told 
through these media platforms that everyone else has a better life than they do. Now, we know that's not true because we're all rational adults, right? And that has never affected us either, right? It has, but it affects our children even more. But they manage these profiles and they have these identities and they are not the same person online as they are sitting up front in the youth group. Would you believe that? I know an individual of an individual uh, who uh, was wanting to apply to a certain Christian college and uh, her online profile, her online media platforms prevented her from going to that college because they were so foul. Wait a minute, that's not the person that we see here in public in real life. So again, they're really good at managing these different personalities and these different profiles and setting up who they want to be. 42% feel that social media plays a direct role in how they feel about themselves. Self-esteem is a huge part of their life. What is the world like? Well, they are screenagers, okay? They're very much focused on media, on iPods, on computers, on tablets, whatever they are. Anybody know what nomophobia is? <laughs> Condemned. <laughs> no more phone. No more phone. A fear of not having your phone with you. This is real. I see some laughter. I see a lot of laughter. This is real. If you take it away from them, their anxiety goes up, they panic, they don't know what to do because they don't have that appendage. When they're away from their phones, 31% spend four to eight hours on a screen each day. 26% eight or more hours each day on a screen. Significant. They're physically safer, but like I said earlier, psychologically more vulnerable. Teen pregnancy is at a low, but teen depression and suicide has skyrocketed. How many cases have we heard of children not valuing themselves and going out and killing themselves? There was a little girl that I knew of. She was nine years old. Nine. Nine or ten. Somewhere around there. And she had been bullied at school. She had been bullied online on her social media platform. Shame on her parents for letting her have one, by the way. She had been bullied there made fun of, treated poorly, and she went out one night, broke out of her house, and went down to the railroad tracks and sat on the tracks and waited for the train. And she succeeded. That's what they're dealing with. So when they come home and say they've had a bad day, when they come home and they're dealing with, with the things that happen in their life, it is real to them. And they ought not be dismissed. Okay, because there's some things that we can do to intervene. Linear thinking has given way to choppy, disjointed, overlapping information. They don't know what to do with it all. They don't know how to put it together. 54% use media to meet new people. That should scare us, by the way. Online is a good place to discuss opinions and ideas. Nobody's ever gotten in a Bible argument on Facebook in here, right? Yes, that's what they're doing. Uh, FOMO is a big, big part of their life. Fear of missing out. Okay, and those pictures that they see of other people on social media or doing stuff causes them to feel like they're not living life to its fullest. It is a barrier to them to having fun because they think they're missing out on everything. 31% say looking at other people's posts makes them feel bad about themselves. 
then why do it? Take it away. My children will not have social media accounts until they're out of my house. Okay? They're not going to do it. 33% have been bullied online. There is no safe place. If we let them online, guess what? It will happen. That's not a question of if, but when. <clears throat> Their world is post-Christian. 10% of boomers, 7% uh, of Gen X, 6% of millennials, and only 4% of Gen Z have a biblical worldview. The number of Gen Z that identifies as atheist is double that of U.S. adults. Many were spiritual. Now think about this is what your children are growing up in. Many are spiritual blank slate having no prior Christian culture. 34% with no religious affiliation. Of those that identify as having a faith, 53% still believe in God and only 48% attended a service recently. Only one in 11 is an engaged Christian. Safe spaces are normal. We criticize those at, at universities and schools and things like that, but that's normal for them. Uh, Gen Z does not like to make people feel bad. There's overuse of trigger words or warning and safe places are there. These render opposing ideas as taboo and combative and leads to no chance to change the minds of others. We're seeing that, by the way, politically play out. Protecting people from ideas they don't want to hear is harmful. Deeply reluctant and anxious to make declarative statements. They're not going to be set up on absolutes. Real safety is a myth. Like Harry Potter, I'm special and we can defeat evil if we stick together. That's the millennials view, right? Gen Z, it's dystopian, hunger games, I just want a quiet place to live and die. There's more optimism in the millennials and other previous generations as are, than there is in Gen Z. Gen Z have never experienced a norm of a dependable job, livable wage, and a reliable social safety net. That's why there's a push toward working for yourself. It goes back to your question about entrepreneurship and them working. They want to be able to control what comes in and what goes out, what they do. They want to have that control because they've seen it stripped away in other institutions. They've never known a country without war. The world is unsafe and they are apt to not be optimistic about the future. With culture changing minds about gender, they are no longer safe even in their own bodies. Everything is taken away. And that's what they see. They're diverse. Again, in the realms of, of women's roles, Hunger Games, main character's female, divergent. Female, Moana, female, Avengers, the age of woman. Same thing, female. So that's here. Traditionally, more men have gone to college than women. However, in the fall of 2018, it saw those enlisted in college, 56% were women. Kindergartners that started in 2016, that was the first year that minority ethnicities made up a majority of students and whites the minority. 59% say that they have friends of a different sexual persuasion. Friends. Friends of a different sexual persuasion. They believe their parents are double-minded. There are helicopter or overprotective parents. There are others that are underprotective, usually in the area of media, to avoid the label. It's this idea of free-range parenting. We let them do whatever they want. They get to dictate to the parents what they're going to do. The parents should just kind of go along and acknowledge that because, after all, child knows best, right? You're absolutely right. 1971, 80% of third graders walked to school. By 1990, it was down to 9%. Today, it's even lower. When I was a kid, I walked to school in the second grade to a school that was over three miles away. Of course, I had two other brothers. 
my parents didn't ever question it. It was, I mean, that's what you do, right? And it was uphill both way in the snow. Um, I did live in Idaho, so it was in the snow. Um, children with over-involved and controlling parents suffer psychological blowback in college because they don't know what to do. They don't have anybody dictating to them what to do. Hands-off parenting has led to more problems for Gen Z at a time when they need greater protection and norms. Here's really what I want us to see. Also, all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. Why don't my children care? That's the question at hand right now. Because they're dealing with these things, and you have individuals or parents who don't take the time to spend with them to teach them what is right. A Sunday morning Bible class and a Wednesday night Bible class, that's two hours total, is insufficient. Let me say this again is 100% insufficient for our children to maintain a spiritual Christianity and an identity. If the parents are not involved outside of church functions, if they're not teaching them, if they're not educating them and bringing them up as a godly generation, guess what? There, There will arise another generation that does not know God, and this generation is it. We are living in a post christian America. And our children are dealing with all of these things at the tender ages of 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Things that would cause us to blush as adults, now they're living in. Things that are horrible for our children to see, they're witnessing firsthand in public. There's even more of an emphasis on parents to spend time with their children and teach them. If you ride in the car, you have an opportunity to talk about God. One of the things that that we do as a family whenever we get in the car, we spend all of our time talking about God, having devos, doing things like that. Why? Because how much time do we spend in the car as a family every day? That's a brilliant opportunity for you to talk about the things that matter. Ask them how their day went and do not be dismissive. We'll talk about some of those things in the next session. Do not be dismissive when your child comes to you with a real problem. Because there may be a time when they don't come to you anymore because of how they've been dismissed. And they'll find other places of acceptance which will not be the church. It'll be places where we don't want them to end up. We're at the 11 o'clock hour. The lesson is yours. I appreciate y'all's attention this morning. That is a good point. Yes, sir. We're going to be starting just very quickly, so don't run off.